Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I am Brian Colbert Kennedy. This is episode 40. 40. 40. Uh, we got a question today, Brian. Yeah, we... Yep. Hey, what would take a young woman from art school to NASA, and why might that change everything forever for everyone? This is a very good question. For good. And to have it answered. In such a thoughtful, uh, thought-provoking... Uh, entertaining, and not at all exasperated by us way. Right. Which is great. Uh, <laughs> our guest is Ariel Waldman. Uh, she's an author, an advisor to NASA. I think I think she's just in charge now. I think she's the uh, boss of NASA. Right, got yeah. it. Uh, she is the founder of spacehack.org. Awesome. Uh, she is the global director of Science Hack Day. Uh, and an all-around just superb human being. Uh, building, as she calls it, quote-unquote, massively multiplayer science, which is just so cool. And she's yeah. doing that literally for everyone's benefit. Yeah, just just so You're that everybody welcome. could participate and have fun and learn and experiment. And, and building a science. great new future. Uh, you know, she was great. Just, we talk a lot about just get out there and do do something right. every day to, to contribute right. and whatever skills you might have. She's doing all all of the things. Yeah, she does a lot of stuff. You don't have to do all of them. Um, <laughs> but she, you know, it's a hell of an example. Yeah, I was really, really impressed. And obviously we'll get into it on the podcast, but uh, with uh, how she sort of, not accidentally, but sort of just went with, rolled with it as things happened and it turned out. And uh, made something of it. Right, right, right. You know, she she uh, combined what she already uh, was good at it, was good at and felt uh, uh, was important in her. Uh, with um, the new opportunities that that were given to her, and now look, she's the boss of NASA. Yeah, there you, there you go, kids. <laughs> All right, let's go talk to Ariel. Okay. Our guest today is Ariel Waldman, and together we're going to ask, how does a enterprising young lady go from art school to NASA? Uh, Ariel, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. For sure. This is very exciting for me because I took some art classes, so maybe I could be in NASA one day. Nope. This, uh, once again, this one's not about you, Brian. <laughs> um, Ariel, uh, let's get started by maybe just telling us who uh, you are and what you do. Yeah. So, yeah, as mentioned, I'm, I'm Ariel, and I do a lot of different things. So I am an advisor to NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts, a program at NASA that funds the more futuristic sci-fi sort of out there concepts that could be transformative to future space missions, maybe 10 to 40 years down the line. I am also the global director of Science Hack Day, an event that gets scientists, designers, developers, and all sorts of people together in the same physical space to see what they can rapidly prototype in 24 consecutive hours. I'm also the author of a book called What's It Like in Space? Uh, Stories from astronauts who've been there. I'm the founder of spacehack.org, a directory of ways for anyone to participate in space exploration. And I do a lot of other things, and I'm uh, planning on going to Antarctica uh, in just a few short weeks. Whoa. So really nothing going on then, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. You just described like the best job ever, it sounds like. Yeah, Brian, how's that, Brian, how's that compare to your typical day? <sighs> and moving on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just want to read one thing off of your uh, LinkedIn profile from your notation on the external council for the NASA NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts. The NASA Innovative Advanced Concepts program nurtures radical sci-fi-esque ideas that could transform future space missions. 
The NIAC, NIAC External Council is a small group of visionaries from quantum physicists to science fiction authors that advise a program. I'm the only non-doctorate on the council. Man, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Can, can, can you uh, in, just enlighten us a little bit on, on, I mean, we'll get into it more, but that's just like, I'm, I, I need to hear what happens. Uh, talk about like wanting, wanting to be in the room where it happens, uh, but also like how the hell you managed to get your way on there. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, so yeah, this program is to me. I'm totally biased, but it's the coolest program at NASA because it funds things like or, in, or just anywhere. You know? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it, it funds uh, you know concepts of uh, you know people using comets as propulsion systems or <sighs> uh, studying human hibernation Man. on the way to Mars and and things of that nature. Uh, so pretty out there stuff that is still. Um, on the credible side of science, and and we can look into uh, if if it's possible, um, even if it might still be several decades away from implementation. So it's a really great program, and yeah, they've got this external council, uh, which is fantastic. Um, people from all different disciplines. Uh, for me, I think that my pathway to getting on there was that a few years ago, I was on a National Academy of Sciences committee about the future of human spaceflight. This was a uh, congressionally requested uh, committee and report about why uh, why we send humans into space at all and how to build a sustainable human spaceflight program for the U.S. Uh, out to the 2050s. So um, that was also a pretty incredible experience. And I, I think that's what sort of uh, caught the eye um, uh, of NIAC. And specifically with NIAC, I feel that a lot of what I can add into it is people coming from non-traditional backgrounds and having um, really interesting research or, or ways of solving problems that is pretty present day in mm -hmm. their field, but when applied towards space exploration can actually be pretty futuristic. That's so awesome. Wow. That's you, you, one hopes that, that that's the way these things would come together and, and work. Uh, and, and needless to say, it doesn't happen as often as, as it needs to, or it should, or you would hope, but, but that is super cool uh, to hear. Yeah, it's, it's just <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I, I like I like weird things. And when I can combine weird things with space exploration, I'm pretty happy. So <laughs> I mean, that's I Fuck just yeah. want to go back in time and realize this same thing when I was young enough. Would you make so many different choices, so many different choices? <laughs> God, I want your life. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, let's, we'll get our conversation going here. Um, Quinn and I believe pretty strongly that we uh, are in a time that calls for uh, much action. And so on this podcast, we like to um, uh, ask some questions uh, that are action oriented and, um, you know, hopefully get some people that are listening to be inspired and motivated uh, to uh, do something great or help uh, someone like you uh, who is doing something great. Um, so Quinn will uh, set up a little context for us and we'll ask you a bunch of questions and you'll mm -hmm. have so many mm -hmm. good answers and, uh, and we'll get specific and we will uh, fuel the revolution. That sounds cool. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> Basics. Yeah. She's in. It. She's <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> hey, Ariel, we start with one uh, pretty important question to, to set the tone for the day. So instead of saying, tell us your whole life story, we like to ask, Ariel, why are you vital to the survival of the species? <laughs> Yeah, I so I tuned into other episodes where you had asked people oh, this. Oh, damn it! She knew about it. Yeah. 
There's so well, many guests who are like, have, what? I don't, but I don't have a great answer either because I feel like <laughs> what have you I been have doing? the same answer, you know, <laughs> that uh, that like Emily Calandrelli gave and stuff of just like, well, I'm not sure that I myself alone uh, am vital be to bold. the survival. Come on, you're here for you're <laughs> look, look at these look at these people you're you're in the league with that that are so lucky to have you. Uh, you know, uh, put it out there for a sec. I mean, I don't think I'm necessarily vital for the survival of the species, but I would say you know, that I'm trying to help others become vital for searching for life elsewhere in the universe, which might Mm. have more impact on our survival over the long term than not. So I, you know, that's a really like pushing it sort of answer. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good, though. Yeah, but, you know, trying to figure out how to detect life elsewhere in our solar system and uh, in our galaxy and in our universe is a a pretty important thing. And it's something that, you know, NASA hasn't exactly figured out yet how to actually detect life, not just Mm -hmm. habitability, but life. Right, Right. And I think this is something that really requires people from a lot of different backgrounds and disciplines to contribute to. And I feel that the word isn't really getting out about that uh, as much as it should be. And so in, in that way, I'm trying to help help the world help uh, help us detect life elsewhere in, mm-hmm. in space. And I think I think that'll say a lot about, you know, our survivability here on Earth, good or bad. I mean, over the long term, <laughs> two things, you know, you're like, oh, this is kind of pushing it. But I'll tell you, if, if on your tombstone, it's like I helped nudge humanity uh even in a smallish way towards uh being an interplanetary species slash not dying off on our one rock that's a pretty (laughs) that's a pretty decent fucking log line uh and also you know you're right like not uh, we're trying to get trying to get james webb up there at some point uh we we got tests that just launched and it's taken these incredible pictures already uh from from first light and and you're you're right you know we're we're trying to figure out one uh, how we can you know, verify habitability, much less signs of life or or the potential for life or to sustain it. And it just makes me think of watching TNG, Star Trek, uh, and and how quickly they would gloss over like, oh, we did a scan. Yep, there's life down there yeah, and exactly. everything's fine. And of course, it's, it's sci-fi and they were like shooting TNG in people's living rooms. Um, <laughs> and I loved it so much. But at the same time, you're like, it makes you think of all all of the things that have to come together to be able to do that one little thing and how they probably ha- will have to come from so many different disciplines. And I do think we will get there because you look at the scientific leaps we've made throughout the past hundred years, especially, but it's just like, boy, wouldn't that just be great uh, yeah. to be able to be like, yep, we can go there or yep. There's people down there and they might kill us. You know, it's uh, th- that'll be a, that'll be a good day. And I'm, I'm very glad that you're the one that's just dragging us there. <laughs> I don't know about dragging, but sure. Yeah, trying trying to instigate, I'll say. Kicking and oh wait, I did well that was the other thing on your on your LinkedIn thing. You, mm-hmm. your your job title is instigator, which is amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. My five year olds is the same thing for very different reasons. Oh yeah. <laughs> um it's like living with the Kool-Aid man. Um all right, so yeah. listen, uh this is where we usually shoot out a bunch of wonky context about ocean temperatures or how terrifying bacteria are or electrocuting specific cancer cells. But in this case, I just want to get to our conversation here because we do have a lot of young women listeners, which I'm proud of and excited of. And uh, I'm so I'm I'm not really sure why they're they're here, but I welcome them and I want to help uh, any potential new lady mentors uh, 
for them uh be be on the mic i yes. i i, I want to learn from from all of you so not every young woman who goes to art school is going to want to transition uh to nasa or talk at darpa or uh catalog all the existing space probes in her spare time uh but let's just say some of them did um so it's on the one hand it's amazing to have liberal arts inclined humans uh especially ladies um, and it's even more exciting. I, I'm a liberal arts major. I'm a nerd who's a liberal arts major. So I do think it's important to have people who 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 are able to pose the ethical questions and and the possibilities that are out there. I think so many of our technological issues of the past five years have come from not having those people uh, in in prominent places. But having liberal arts inclined humans, especially ladies, crossing over with STEM and doing the things you're doing, like you said, the reason some of the reasons you might be on these boards. That's where our great ideas can come from, and and that's where the great questions come from. Um, so as much as we don't usually talk about, uh, tell us your life story and things like that, I do want to know what the hell happened. <laughs> you, how how did you go from from one to the other? Was it a sudden revelation? Was it you know both uh, philosophically? Uh, did you always want to do this? And and art school was a bump along the way, or was it something you uh, transversed your way to with? With, uh, on a mission or was a, a sudden change of mind and then also sort of let's dig into the methodology of the choices you made and the things that helped you or the obstacles that stood in your way yeah along the way because i think those are the things that are going to help young women and young men but we don't really need them um you know <laughs> find their way to having an impact yeah sure yeah so uh no i did not uh grow up uh being a space geek or a science geek um i mean i i watched star trek that's probably about the extent of it but wait hold, which one oh, well God. both uh picard and janeway okay nice, so, nice. did you just skip deep space nine then or my parents weren't really a, a fan of deep space nine so i didn't okay. really get into it myself uh but i know other people who are yeah it's very controversial <laughs> um but yeah so you know growing up no i didn't have like any big you know space or science dreams or anything <laughs> like that um it, mm-hmm. science wasn't really my thing not that i i disliked it it was just um just wasn't my thing um i was really obsessed with design and art. And, uh, mm-hmm. when I was 14, uh, I decided because I was a really weird 14 year old that my dream job was, uh, to be an executive creative director. I thought that was like nice. the best thing in the world. Um, I thought it meant you could be as creative as you wanted to be, and you could, you know, apply design towards, you know, a gazillion different mediums. And I don't know. I thought that was like the coolest job. So I set out on that mission uh, as a teenager. And so, yeah, I went to art school. I got my degree in graphic design. Um, I was, you know, working towards this goal, climbing the corporate ladder and uh, sort of hit a glass ceiling with that. And that's when I moved out to San Francisco and I was doing some consulting and um, still interested in like art and design and and Mm -hmm. things of that nature. But I was watching a documentary called When We Left Earth, which was oh, just so good. Yes, really great documentary. And it's kind of like, you know, that booming American voice sort of documentary, but sure. still amazing. Uh, and I was watching it at home and I saw that they were interviewing a bunch of guys who had worked in mission control in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were interviewing them about, you know, the Apollo missions and, and, and prior to that as well. And they were talking about how 
uh, when they were hired at NASA, they were all like 26 or something, uh, that they didn't know anything about spacecrafts or rockets or orbits or any of that. And so I'm watching this at home and thinking to myself, well, I don't know anything about space exploration and I want to work at NASA. That sounds pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> so, so it was a bit of a moment of revelation yeah. then. Yeah, it was. Like, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was kind of a silly moment because I was like, who wouldn't want that job? That sounds awesome. And so I had told that to a friend um, and this friend was like, oh, I was just at this, you know, conference and I got someone from NASA's business card if you want it. And I was like, yeah, sure. So, <laughs> so I decided to email this person at NASA saying that I was a uh, huge fan of NASA. I was a fan for like all of like a week um, and said that if they ever <laughs> right. needed like volunteers Giant or something uh, that I was around. And the day I emailed them, they were like, well, we just created this job description and they sent it over to me and I applied for this job. And I ended up Getting a job at NASA, which this isn't this sounds like a made up blew story. my mind. Yeah, this is crazy. I swear it's true. Wow. So, what was the job? Was it executive creative art director? <laughs> I wish. Nailed yeah, it. no. Uh, it was. Uh, it was. So they were specifically looking for someone who had no experience with NASA whatsoever, because they were running a program called CoLab, whose mission was to connect communities inside and outside of NASA to collaborate. And so they were looking for someone to uh, coordinate the program and sort of be that bridge between communities outside of NASA and uh, collaborating with NASA and, and, you know, knowing how to uh, sort of translate and communicate things and and get people to uh, work together and figure out the challenges of that and and possible, um, you know, ideas around that. And so, yeah, for me, uh, you know, I had worked in advertising a lot and uh, had this uh, design uh, background. And I had then since moving to San Francisco become sort of connected to the tech startup scene in San Francisco. So um, I applied for this job and yeah, I, I got it. And <laughs> I was freaking out to say the least. Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah I, I'm sure. What a, what a, wow. That's wild. Um, all right. So let's just back up for uh, a second. Sure. Uh, you know, a lot, as all this was happening, this is definitely a true story. What, like, what obstacles, you know, did you run into along that way? Uh, towards getting the job at NASA, or yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I guess, and then, and, and I guess also while you were at NASA, I mean, without naming names, I mean, anything right. within NASA as a woman or as uh, uh, someone without scientific academic training or or both, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. uh, So, I mean, getting this job at NASA, really, there wasn't, I mean, I went in for interviews and they told me, you know, after one of my interviews that they were going to give me an offer. And I was looking at them like, all right, cool, cool. You know, just being like really, really calm. I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll I'll accept this. (laughs) And I was like, I calmly like walk back into my car after talking with them and like close the door, look around and then like call my mom and go like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah, freak out. Um, So that part, there wasn't really uh, challenges. It really was uh, an incredibly lucky scenario. And and it's one of the reasons why I do all the work that I do today, because someone had decided to make that easy for me. Um, And I want to make it easy for other people. Um, Certainly working at NASA was a big lesson for me in terms of working for the government and just how 
difficult it is to work for the government. Um, I had no idea what was headed my way in terms of just the bureaucracy and the attitudes. And, you know, um, thankfully, my team at NASA was amazing and awesome. And I loved working with them. And also, I remember, uh, you know, going to NASA and expecting it to feel extremely male dominated. But I was so I worked at NASA Ames uh, in Silicon Valley. And uh, I was actually kind of surprised. I'm not saying it was 50-50 gender balance. Definitely mm-hmm. not that. But there was actually a lot of women. There were a lot of women. And that's something that also has been very frustrating for me um, as I've gone further into this career in space exploration is actually recognizing that NASA, um, in terms of uh, gender diversity, is actually pretty decent. And by decent, I mean about 30% or so. Sure. Um, But comparatively, the commercial space industry, which has less regulations put on it, less Mm -hmm. restrictions in terms of who they can and can't hire and and turnover and being able to, you know, fire people and things of that nature, has like abysmal gender diversity, something that's closer to maybe, you know, 10% if they're lucky. Um, and, And that's been very frustrating for me to realize. So my introduction to NASA, while from the government standpoint, was um, mm-hmm. definitely a bit of a, I don't know what to say other than an ass kicking uh, and just learning right. uh, how to deal with that. Um, you know, I had a fairly positive experience in terms of my immediate team and, um, you know, getting pretty much what it felt like getting paid to go to school. Um, sure. So certainly I ran into some challenges and some difficulties with specific uh, scenarios I don't want to get into necessarily sure. on this, but uh, but I would say the overall experience was um, positive in terms of really opening my eyes into all the people who can be involved in space exploration. And sure. that was really the inspiration for all the work that I do now, because my time at NASA was actually pretty short initially. And mm-hmm. I uh, had learned about all these opportunities for people to get involved in space exploration, but no one really knew about them. And that sort of right. started, you know, sort of uh, going going in my brain and, and figuring out, like, how I could get those opportunities out to people who would really be delighted the same way I was to learn that they could contribute to space exploration, even if they are not space geeks. Sure, sure. Do you feel like now... Uh you're on the right path personally? Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's such a big question. I <laughs> feel, I certainly am very satisfied with uh, with sort of my, my path so far. I feel it's, a lot of it's just motivated about, you know, wanting to work on cool stuff and wanting other people just to know that, you know, the door is open to play around with science and space exploration. So I'm not looking to, um, convert people or tell them that they should drop everything and change their careers or anything of that nature. Uh, for me, it's uh, just uh, sort of having the same pathway that I have, where it's like you can dabble in different things and you don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to choose. And it doesn't have to be life-changing, uh, or it can be, um, and sort of all pathways are okay. Yeah, I, I think that seems to be a realization that a lot of uh Generation and X are having a hard time wrapping their heads around is uh, for younger folks and even younger folks who've been impressed upon by those older generations, uh, where where a lot of younger folks haven't that, yeah, it's okay to 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 dabble in a bunch of different things yeah. and to succeed in a bunch of different things and not to work a nine to five that uh, you you know you belong to for for forty years and that it's not only 
okay to start over or to switch to something new, but that's almost better or expected or or advantageous. Uh, not to necessarily bounce around and not be uh, committed to things, but uh, but to, but to use a wide variety of skills in a number of different places where you can contribute and and be interested in them instead of being miserable in your job. Yeah, I mean, you know, other uh, people from different you know backgrounds and different geographic locations and and different you know family situations, they all have different constraints, and sure. I'm always trying to be uh, aware of that. Um, and I, I think that's sort of where. A lot of my work uh, ends up focusing on. There's the mm-hmm. part where I focus on, you know, getting people to realize that the door is open. But then there is also the sort of societal side of things of um, getting their uh, getting more opportunities available to people that encourage them to dabble with different things and sure. sort of uh, working against some of the um, societal walls that are sort of put up that uh, are discouraging people with. Uh, um, playing outside of their their discipline, and you know, this is something that we see in science a lot. That scientists um, often are very interested in playing around with other disciplines, but mm-hmm. everything around them is telling them, you know, focus on your work. And if you don't focus w- on your immediate work, it's going to be a detriment. So, um, work is needed on both sides, both on on the individual sure. person side and on the institutions uh, and society side. Right, and 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 it. I think that's so true. And, and it's a conversation we really need to start having as far as the support systems to let people do these things, much less encourage them is, is how the hell do we get these people healthcare? So they feel like they can do these things, mm-hmm. bounce around or do 10 different things. Um, because the, the days of a big corporation guaranteeing your healthcare and paying into whatever are, are not coming to an end, but, but becoming, uh, a minority for a lot of folks either. Cause they can't get those jobs or they just don't want those jobs. And they don't want to commit to those things uh, so that they're miserable or getting a 2% pay raise every year or whatever. They want to take risks um, and can and contribute to a wide variety of things. But that's really hard to do when you can't go to the fucking doctor. Right. Um, so that's that. Is, that is, I, I and it's, it's happening fast and not just with Uber um, and things like that. You know, we, we have to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. So switching tracks a little bit. What is uh, democratized science instru- instru- instrumentation? Uh, what was it like working for the Office of Science and Technology? And what does Obama smell like? I, I'm guessing <laughs> it's I'm guessing it's uh, roses and hope. Um, but if you could just detail out all of those, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, so I I hate to disappoint, but I actually don't know what Obama smells like because I actually haven't met him, even though I have been involved with things. Uh, directly, you know, leading to him. Fine. Um, I went into yeah. that question with a lot of lot of expectations. Yeah. I know, I know. I, <laughs> I, I, I want to know as much as you. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyways, talk about the boring stuff then. Yeah. So, so the <laughs> the democratized science instrumentation paper was uh, commissioned by the White House uh, Office of Science and Technology Policy. So I wasn't working for them, but they had commissioned it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that was a paper, I guess it came out in 2012. It was a guidebook that I uh, wrote and curated around uh, different hardware and software that was greatly democratizing different types of science. So uh, mm-hmm. things where, you know, um, 
things that are now even more popular today, but like open ROV, which, you know, is a robot that can go underwater or um, ways of, you know, discovering new galaxies or ways of uh, folding proteins that could help with uh, drug discovery and things of that nature. So um, in 2012, uh, which is, I think that's when it came out, um, the guidebook that I put together. And at the time there was a pretty limited set of things that would really fall into this democratized science instrumentation guidebook. And so that's really been what's amazing to see over the last five plus years has been uh, just how much this area has exploded. And these are things that are sometimes top down. So it'll be an institution saying, you know, we want to do a citizen science effort. Um, But the things that I also tried to focus on were things that were um, sort of bottom up, uh, people building DIY tools and mm-hmm. uh, different ways of, of tackling problems that were really more in the, the MacGyver sense of things mm-hmm. um, and uh, sort of either were comparable, uh, at least closely to professional equipment. Um, and that's always been what is uh, a difficult area to navigate in terms of a lot of the stuff, because for instance, uh, there's a lot of uh, air sensors out there, but not until you you know spend a decent amount of money do they become actually good in terms of quality and, and mm-hmm. eliminating false positives. Mm-hmm. So um, sort of navigating this area is exciting and also something where you sort of have to tread carefully because you also don't want to give um, bad expectations on what things are capable of and not. So so this guidebook tried to tap into that and then also talk about the greater ecosystem as a whole and how um, it should be better funded and looked into because a lot of times the things that people are exploring are sort of on the fringe in terms of, um, you know, being underfunded or overlooked and and things of that nature. And I think that's how a lot of science can get done is because some areas of science uh, simply just are much better funded uh, and taken more seriously than others. And, uh, you know, we have an opportunity to sort of level the playing field um, if we get people involved uh, at all different disciplines and using sort of uh, this these technologies that can really uh, be game changers. So was the point of the guidebook, the thesis, or I guess, who was the guidebook for? Was it for the Office of Science and Technology? Was it for potential users slash consumers? Was it for organizations? Uh, kind of all of the above, you know, certainly because it was commissioned by OSTP, uh, I had them in mind because I was wanting to uh, give them uh, a guidebook that advised them on things that they should be looking into and considerations that they should be making. But at the same time, as much as possible, I try and make my work open uh, to everyone. And so I think even though I sort of wrote it with them in mind as an audience, I think it was uh, incredibly useful for um, a lot of different scientists and, and organizations in terms of how to think about things and what areas that they knew about where uh, similar tools could be implemented. You seem to love to focus on unusual collaborations. Yes. Uh, <laughs> please tell us more about that. I'm actually curious, does that, does that come, does that uh, perspective and and sort of life view as it turns into a, a methodology does that come from a specific upbringing or or school situation and and i guess how do you proactively put that out there in the world 
I, you know, I mean, some of it comes from, you know, my direct experience with NASA and just the fact that I am considered to be someone who comes from a non-traditional background who Mm -hmm. is working in the space sector. There's that, but then there's just like my personal, like, sort of gut love of of weird and unusual things. And Mm -hmm. I think you could probably see that in my choice of going to art school. I think um, just uh, being able to explore and be weird are (laughs) some of the things that, uh, some of the reasons why I chose to go to art school. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I probably always had had that um, in me, uh, regardless of if I had this unexpected thing at NASA happen or not. So for me, I think getting weird collaborations and unusual collaborations together is always delightful because you don't know what to expect. And it sort of infuses serendipity into anything that you do. So you're literally creating things that otherwise would not be created. And so this is what I'm always trying to sort of infuse into science generally is sort of these serendipitous solutions or or ways of tackling things. Because I think, you know, science and many other disciplines would be fine without having serendipity. Clearly, they've they've managed to to get on okay. But I think in a way it's it's reckless for them to not sort of do things that can infuse serendipity into into solutions and into ways of doing mm-hmm. things because otherwise these creations would just not exist and the idea of having things that could exist not sort of come to fruition um is sad to me so i i like you know weird stuff because i i like the unexpected nature of what can happen from that and i think um as long as as long as there's always things that I could never predict happening, I'm happy. Sure. It seems like you're really just hell-bent on and at least putting the pieces in place so that those things could possibly happen. Does that sound right? Yeah. Because otherwise... It sounds like it comes natural to you. Like, it's just just in you that you want to, you know, test weird things because that's just who you are. That's awesome. Well, and it's it's funny because, you know, when when I'm dreaming up sci-fi shit, you know, there... People forever talked about, oh, this uh, this writer or this uh, imagineering person, you know, did a lot of daydreaming, yada, yada, yada. And now there's all this research says, like, that's actually when, you know, the most sort of fantastical ideas come is is when we let the subconscious do its work and it it sort of finds the connection between synapses, synapses that other mm. otherwise wouldn't when you're sitting in front of a blinking cursor. It's mm-hmm. it's when you're on a walk and you're letting that happen or you're or you're sleeping or you're in the shower. And and this seems like more of the the real world version of that, you know. If you don't let these things uh, inhabit the same construct a little bit, they're not going to happen. Um, yeah. And what happens if we do? Man, yeah. Let's take another step back really quick uh, and uh, say, you know, you you watched that documentary and uh, you decided uh, that you you know wanted to work for NASA, but maybe you mm-hmm. don't get that business card, and mm-hmm. you know, just does, just doesn't happen. Well, what could have been the next step? Because, you know, as amazing as that was, obviously that's not going to happen uh, for a lot of uh, people. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I'll answer that two ways. I mean, so for me, realistically, because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't hell-bent on working for NASA, um, I think, you know, I think if I were to actually think about it, I've probably sent a lot of emails like that to people over the years of just like, hey, uh, like, you're really cool. What can I do? <laughs> like the yeah. Pixar or something. Right. Um, mm-hmm. 
So, you know, if, if that had never happened, I'm not sure that I would be, you know, just still like gun ho trying to get this job at NASA. I think, right. it, I think honestly, it was just sort of a, a spur of the moment thing where I thought it was really cool. And if I never heard back or anything, um, or if I never got that business card, I, I can't say with any certainty that I would have actually like continued pursuing it. And I think that's why it has had such a huge impact on like becoming this mission in my life is because I, forward. yeah, to pay it forward and, and just realize that, you know, there's a whole ton of people who would give everything to, to work at NASA and have this mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, and I want to help those people, but I also want to, uh, I want to reach out to people that just, it's just not even on their radar. It's not even yeah. something they considered because I think if you walked up to most people on the street and just said, you have to change nothing about yourself and you can have a job at NASA tomorrow. Do you want it? They'd say, uh, hell yeah. <laughs> so so that's one thing why it's had such a big impact on me is because I think it could have easily gone the other way where I, I just didn't get this job and I have a totally different career now uh, several years later. Um, but that said, you know, if someone is suddenly realizing that they would want to work at NASA or get involved in space exploration, I think... Thankfully, nowadays, there's a lot uh, better ways to, uh, or, or at least more ways to get involved. And the fact that NASA is no longer sort of having a monopoly on space exploration, I think, is um, right. it, overall a, a positive thing. So there's a myriad of ways. You know, it's one of the reasons why I created SpaceHack.org, because it shows a lot of um you know, simple ways to get involved in space exploration, such as, you know, uh, cataloging or um, looking at galaxies and, and being able to potentially find new galaxies. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, you can get more involved building the next next generation of Mars rovers for mm-hmm. NASA and other people. You know, there's a lot of things like that. But I think also the thing, if I were to say one thing, it would just be about recognizing what your current disciplines and, and skill sets are. Mm-hmm. And figuring out how that could apply to NASA. And sometimes, you know, people won't already be aware of how, you know, being a writer or a lawyer could be involved in space exploration. Um, sure. And certainly that's why I try and reach as many people as I can. Because, for instance, you know, I've talked to many lawyers who seem flabbergasted to learn that, you know, space law is a big up and coming area that they can get involved in. Right. So Space law. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff to figure out and a lot of yeah. international treaties that are very vague and, uh, mm. well, not a lot, but there's a, a sure. couple. But <laughs> sure, yeah. um, there, there's a lot of areas also when it comes to planetary protection and figuring out what qualifies as contamination. Um, you know, things of that nature are only going to keep accelerating. So for me, I think the biggest advice I can give for people who want to get involved is kind of start with whatever your strengths are, um, whether, whether or not you feel like your, your skills and whatever interest area you have is, um, you know, high tech or not, doesn't really matter. Um, mm-hmm. we're reaching this point where people can get involved in space exploration at many different sort of, uh, levels and, and disciplines and, um, I'm not going to say that it's always necessarily easy. I think a lot of times you have to be the creative one and sort of be approaching people and saying, you know, this is what I can offer you that no one else in your organization does. Um, Because, you know, I think a lot of uh, space organizations have the problem of 
for instance, if they need to design a website or something, instead of looking out into the world and saying, who is you know, the best expert at designing websites? We should talk to them. They more or less circulate an email around going like, who here knows how to design websites? Right. right. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I can't say that they're always going to be the ones that are creatively thinking about how to involve people from different disciplines. But I am saying that um, they need more people than they realize. And sure. a lot of times by starting those conversations, um, you know, they can lead to a lot of interesting opportunities. And so a lot of it is is still sort of in the nature of how um, my career started, which is, you know, begin talking to people. And so many people in space really are delighted to know that people think they're cool. Sure. (laughs) So they're usually pretty, pretty fine with, with people reaching out to them. As long as it's not those emails of I'm positive. I saw aliens uh, five times yesterday (laughs) in my backyard. (laughs) I mean, that's how a lot of our podcast, uh, you know, requests are. Brian does intersperse them sometimes in the middle of the night with, Hey, I think I saw something in the sky. Generally, people get if back you to see us. Which something, is, say something. That's not what they mean. <laughs> oh, that's not the intention. Um, hey, I just want to really quick just repeat what you said, sort of, because I think it's so incredibly important, and it applies to not only uh, if you are a young person who wants to work for NASA, but in any situation, which is just recognize what you are good at, figure out how you can apply that to, uh, or how that helps any whoever you might want to work for, um, and just know your strengths and don't be you know, intimidated because whatever, you don't think you know about science or whatever. That's, that's such great advice. You know, and I think I've mentioned this before, probably in one of our cancer podcasts, but I had a realization of that very early. And this is sort of a sidetrack, which was, yeah, we've talked I, about yeah I, I've, I've had a lot of friends get sick and my best friend died of cancer. And, and I kept trying to figure out like, how, how can I change this in some way? Because I'm not a doctor and am bad at flashcards and can't just make <laughs> that life pivot. There's some things you can do and some things you have to recognize you you can't. Uh, and I just recognized, oh, I'm really good at uh, physical labor. So I'm just going, to, <laughs> just going to run really far and raise money so that the people who are super smart can do the work. So uh, there, there, there's a world of ways you can, you can contribute and, and help and all of them can be beneficial to, to making change. And the second note on that is actually, you know, you talk about how much scientists and stuff love hearing from people. Uh, you know, there's this wonderful organization. You've probably heard of it. It's called the Science and Entertainment Exchange. Yes, I am. Uh, I don't know what they call them. I'm an advisor, not an advisor. Of course I'm you are. A consultant on it. Yeah. Of course you are. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, it's awesome. Um, One of our past guests was also, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's it's the best because I won't say most. Many of us uh, screenwriters and creators and stuff do want to try to do things as, as close to realistic yeah, exactly or, or the next jump from realistic as possible. Obviously story is, is a thing, but boy, it's so cool to talk to these people and have them be like, actually uh, you could do this and right. that can unlock a whole world. And, and programs like that are just amazing. Yeah. It's um, a totally fantastic program. When I first learned about it a few years ago, I, I remember just going like, this is amazing. And the fact yeah. that it comes technically out of the national Academy of sciences is even yes. more impressive uh they're yeah they do a lot of a lot of uh good work and they're fairly small program staff like only like three people or something uh oh shit so yeah they they are heavy hitters they they do a lot of great work yeah it's awesome so let's talk about the actual work so where we are the moves we're making as a species led by people like you thank god um (laughs) do you feel like the folks in your world now that uh, you've been in it for a while with your perspective and and actively paying it forward to all, to all these different 
young, up-and-coming creative minds and you've actually made an impact, do you feel like we're asking the right questions and not just digging for specific answers? Does that make sense? Uh, not entirely. Can you... <laughs> I, I guess, I mean, are we being... Uh, are we pursuing things with an open mind in that respect? Do you feel like uh, your your push for for um, a wide variety of inputs and contributions uh, is is fueling things as we as we push forward? Obviously, the structures of, for instance, space exploration and 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 discovery are opening up with with the privatized world. But mm-hmm. um, do you feel like there's sort of an institutional movement towards openness and and thinking instead of just like, well, we have to do this because this is the way it's always been done or the yeah. way we've always predicted it would be done? Yeah, I would say yes and no. Um, certainly, you know, in, so it's been now 10 years since I got that first job at NASA. So now I'm a decade in, uh, which is weird for me because um, <laughs> I still very much feel uh, in a lot of ways similar to how I did 10 years ago, but now I have a lot more knowledge. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But uh, I would say yes and no. It's it's something. It's frustrating. I you know certainly NASA has gotten a lot better in the last ten years with being open and with understanding how to engage people better. Um, you know when I was there ten years ago, they it was it was two thousand eight, and they still thought you know using social media was like using solitaire at work. Like it was right. like you know like it was not. It was not like, okay, and it wasn't like widely accepted. Um, sure. and, and that was strange. So in that, you know, in that sense, I have to say they've come a very long way. But um, in terms of the space industry in general, sort of worldwide, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, certainly, you know, with getting a lot of um, countries more involved in space exploration and giving them uh, opportunities and having them be able to create their own opportunities to get involved in space, there's a lot of work to be done in terms of sort of just institutions sort of getting it. Yeah, it's difficult. You know, I was giving a talk recently where I was saying, you know, when I launched spacehack.org 10 years ago, the problem was that sort of NASA in a way sort of scrubbed out the stories of a lot of people because Mm -hmm. I think they imagined this thing where, you know, if no one is represented in space, if there's no, you know, personalities and things of that nature, then everyone can imagine themselves being involved in space. And I sort of get that. Um, but it means that we sort of lost out on a bunch of great stories sure. about, you know, uh, you know, now we've got uh, movies like Hidden Figures that sure. ha- talk about some of those stories that have been looked over. But now 10 years later, with uh, a lot of the commercial industry, it swung the opposite direction and we still have the same problem. So now we definitely have cults of personality. Now, Really, it's you know Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos exploring right. space, um, and that creates the same problem, but in the opposite direction, where one person's face is represented and one person's views are represented. And this is the stuff that gets me really frustrated because sure. the reality of space exploration is that uh, you know it is diverse. It can be way, way, way more diverse than it is. Right. But there's so many stories that we continue to this day to lose out on of people from diverse backgrounds and areas who are involved in working in space exploration today. And mm-hmm. we just don't hear them that often. And mm-hmm. then also this thing about, you know, why we even explore space in the first place. Uh, you know, again, billionaires will often say it's because we need to be a multi-planet species and, you know, we won't survive unless we are. And it's not necessarily that that's wrong or incorrect, but mm-hmm. they 
frame it as this is the reason why we do this. And that's just not true. That's essentially lying. The reason why we do space exploration, which is backed up by public data, is that there are many different reasons. And people oftentimes cite multiple reasons for why we do it. And so the thing that really frustrates me and the thing that I think is still sort of wrong, even though we're in an era more of commercial space and and more opportunities for people, is uh, there's still this single narrative of why we do this um, or uh, the way we do this or the type of people who are involved in doing this. And it's really it's really frustrating because it's just simply not true. We need to be having uh, many, many different narratives and uh, recognizing that and that it's okay to say, you know, this is the reason why I do it, um, but that's not representative of why everyone does it. And until we can sort of break that single narrative and and, and break away from that, both in the real world and in science fiction, um, I think uh, in a lot of ways, space exploration ends up repelling people because they can't get on board with what's being promoted as like the only narrative. Yeah, and I think there's a real lesson to be learned, and, and we've faced the same thing, and, and we've, we've we've tried hard uh, to, to expand the horizons. Uh, you know, when you're talking about climate change, which is you really have to meet, or and or clean energy, you have to meet people where, where their values are. Right. Um, like, look, we clearly have this big fucking looming thing come, <laughs> coming down on <laughs> us, and it's already affecting a lot of people in a lot of places, especially not just in America. But, you know, there's a lot of ways to approach it to get people almost excited and engaged, whether it's from a, a religious point of view of, of the Bible tells you to take care of the planet, or it's uh, purely from a capitalistic point of view, which is like, there could be a massive industry here for right. clean energy and, and things like that. And, and, uh, and, and, and space can be, you know, the, the same way. Um, mm-hmm. it, it should be, and it, and it can be, and yes, you know, the having a backup planner 2.0 or whatever is, is a prong, but it, it certainly shouldn't be the biggest one or the only one. Yeah. Um, so that leads very well into, into what we wanted to ask next, which is, you know, how can, how can we and our listeners, uh, help support, uh, the next generation and, and people like you and specifically your mission? What, what do you need the most help with? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, my project Science Hack Day that I mentioned sort of at the start, which is this weekend event that gets people from all different disciplines together in the same physical space to see what they can prototype over a weekend, um, I think is surprisingly effective. And it's effective in the sense, you know, it's on a small scale. So a lot of these events might only be, you know, 75 or 100 people. Um, but the things that come out of it, I really think are game-changing in terms of having people who otherwise wouldn't be collaborating, collaborating together, having people uh, recognize how, yeah, their specific uh, skills and ways of looking at the world might be valuable to other disciplines and things of that nature. So with Science Hack Day, it's this grassroots uh, event. It's not an organization by design. It's it's not a franchise where you have to ask for permission to organize one. Anyone can organize a Science Hack Day. Um, so there's a website, sciencehackday.org, that has sort of guidelines of how to organize one in your own city. And now it's in 29 countries around the world, which is fantastic. Cool. Uh, yeah. It's, um, and it's just, you know, not only I, is it incredibly valuable and meaningful, but it's just fun. So we don't give challenges. We don't 
say you have to have a specific skill set to come. Any, anyone, anyone is welcome and you can work on anything you like. You can work on multiple teams if you like. It's an incredibly collaborative environment. It's not competitive. Um, and it's really just about getting excited and making things with science and just really making sure that you have a good distribution of people from different disciplines who are coming to these events and then just sort of letting letting magic happen, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but the the impacts it's made both on the individual and uh, sort of group level have been pretty profound. Again, some people walk away from these weekends and they say, you know, well, I don't, you know, I'm not really interested in going into science, but now I know how to play around with particle physics data if I want to ever. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and other people, you know, it's led to these, yeah, multi-year collaborations or new ways of doing science. Um, You know, we can't ever predict how, you know, how, what will come out of it and, and the types of effects that it'll have on people. But um, it's just really a fun, joyful, nice event. Um, and so getting people to organize Science Hack Day events in their own cities, I, I think, is a big project of mine and something I try and help people do as much as possible. And I try and make myself available as much as possible to um, help answer questions or attend the events or, or, or what have you. And I think it's really if we can continue doing Science Hack Day or things like it, um, mm-hmm. sort of in uh, every city around the world, really, I think what we'll be building are more resilient communities who um, actually know people in other disciplines. And I think just that social awareness of one another and knowing that you can reach out to one another is really important. You know, sometimes it's just simple stuff. Like, for instance, you know, because I have the job that I have now, you know, I know that if I have questions about black holes, I can just like DM an astrophysicist and ask about black <laughs> holes. Like, but, and everybody's like, that's so cool. You're so awesome. But that should, that, that should be something that is available for many people, you know, sure. having access to, you know, just like socially know people from other disciplines and just be able to talk to them about, you know, things, you know, randomly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think people should be in all the silos that they're put in. So I I think that's a small step to getting to a a better world, in my opinion. I I love that. Yeah. And I think that all of those uh, efforts and and Hack Day, I just want to see what Brian would contribute. uh, I'll go to a Hack Day. Can lead to that more open world. Um, what would you say specifically to, to young women who would very much like to simultaneously, uh, burn down the patriarchy and also (laughs) maybe go to space or help dream up the next machine that'll go to space or the rockets or the habitats or, or, the you know, the, the asteroid grabber or whatever. Yeah. Oh gosh. That's such a, uh, question because you know i'm i feel like i'm still in the process of like navigating that myself you know i i'm not going to lie to people and say that it's easy because i've certainly run into the patriarchy and i continue to run into the patriarchy sure. more more than i would like to um and it's something that i've unfortunately you know if i'm being entirely honest uh, i run into more the higher up i try to go mm-hmm. um, yep. and that's the the unfortunate reality um but the, the- so a glass ceiling, but then basically the same. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's you know sometimes it's glass ceilings, and sometimes it's just you know yeah it, it, it's stupid stuff like you know people will sing your praises until it's time to actually 
like put their, you know, neck on the line and and when they won't, you know, sometimes it's stuff like that, that, you know, can convert into a glass ceiling. And sometimes it's just annoying stuff that just makes no sense. I could, yeah, I could do a whole podcast on that, but that would be a really negative podcast. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you got to spit the fire. Yeah, yeah uh, I, I would say, you know, um, identifying people who are working in areas that you're interested in um, is is an important thing and, and talking with them. And, it, you know, you know, when you find good people uh, and you email them and they're like, oh, let me introduce you to five other people, like do that as much as you can. Because, you know, I can't speak for anyone and and sort of the hurdles that they have to get through personally, because mm-hmm. we all sort of find our own pathways. But certainly, again, talk just talking to people and reaching out to people and sort of, uh, you know, anyone who's not being helpful or sort of offering to introduce you to many other people, I would mm-hmm. say, you know, don't spend too much time on those people. Sure. Um, but, you know, in terms of getting involved, I think this is really generic advice, but really good advice, no matter if it's space or, or whatever you want to do, is just doing good work and getting it out there. And and by that, I mean, you know, if you hit roadblocks to doing things that you want to do, think about what's sort of the skeleton level version of, of that thing that you want to do and do your best to, you know, build it or write it or whatever it is and sort of get it out there. Because one thing I didn't talk about uh, too much was that, you know, when I got this initial job at NASA, it was very short lived. My program ran out of funding within a few months and I was already mm-hmm. oh. you know back out on the street, like, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, without much other than a blip on my resume that I worked at NASA for a few months. Mm-hmm. And I and I it had already had an effect on me and I wanted to work in space exploration at that point. I was uh, really, you know passionate at that point after only a few months of going like, well, I want to do this, but I have no idea how to get involved because I've just got this blip on my resume and I'm not really sure what to do and I don't have much experience. And so that's that's when I built spacehack.org because I had learned about all these different ways people could get involved in space exploration. Mm-hmm. And so I built it as a WordPress site. It was the most skeleton version of a grander idea that I had um, and I built it and I sort of got it out there and I uh, tried to get coverage for it in, you know, some publications and things of that nature. And uh, the thing that was really cool was that people responded to it really positively and, and it really sort of took off. And in that way, I started just sort of building these little easy community resources, either through WordPress or, or whatever else I could, which then people started inviting me to speak places because you know, I was building these things that were sort of unusual at the time. And so then I started speaking out about how uh, how difficult it was to work for the government and how people <laughs> could get involved in space exploration. And I very much over the next few years, like clawed my way back into wherever I am now, which is mm-hmm. someone who uh, I think uh, can now safely say that I feel like I belong in space exploration, not that I still don't face challenges right. uh, from a non-traditional background, but I feel um, with what I've accomplished, I at least have proof points. But the way that really all started was by saying, okay, well, I'm completely on my own. I know I want to work in space, but I know that I can't really get a job in space if I applied because uh, this was like a fluke deal. Right. Um, and so I, so for me, I knew how to make simple websites. And so I made simple websites and, um, and, 
you know, building community resources or building things that are useful to people, even in the most bare bones way. And again, that can just be writing articles or what have you, or making videos. Um, you know, that's a way to sort of claw your way into places and start sort of uh, advocating for yourself that you belong in, in places, maybe even though you have no experience in them. I, I love it. Yeah. We'll put, put the work out there. At least give yourself something to stand on a little bit, even if yeah. people are trying to fucking kick it out from under you. Um, so in on the other perspective, and I know we're uh, getting tight here, but I've just sort of one, I'd love to hear the other side of this, which is the, the world is, you know, sort of burning in some respects. So uh, one of our big goals is to help shine a light on where we need to go sort of as a people. And it, it's very obvious. Uh, this week, one answer to that question is get the hell away from white guys as fast as possible, uh, which is relatively awkward. Uh, but anyways, what do you feel are the big actionable questions the rest of us should be asking of our representatives? Uh, you know, there's a lot of different things. I think, you know, I've had uh, the opportunity to go and, and speak to members of Congress uh, in the past. So one thing I would just say is uh, if you ever have trips planned to D.C. at all, you know, if you can, like a month in advance, email every representative in your state, Republican and Democrat, uh, people from different districts, and just say, hey, I'm going to be in town. I'd really like to talk to you about X. Uh, you know, and and have like a one pager for them because a lot of times you're going to be not meeting with them but meeting with their staffers. Sure. That is a really you know important thing to do for those who have access to travel to DC. You know, once every year or once every few years or what have you. In terms of what to uh, ask people, you know, for me, <laughs> I've got some things that are on my list personally. Uh, mm-hmm. One is. Uh, NASA is currently um, banned, more or less, uh, from collaborating with China directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and this does not come from NASA. This comes from uh, a single person in Congress. It used to be Senator Wolf, and now mm-hmm. it is Senator Colbertson. And Colbertson uh, is a tricky character because he has sent a lot of money towards NASA for doing a Europa mission, mm-hmm. which is really awesome. But he is also the single person that uh, keeps NASA from collaborating with China. And this goes against the National Academy of Sciences recommendations. And I think this is something that's really frustrating because other federal agencies aren't don't have the same ban. And so um, using NASA sort of just as this token thing of, you know, either either as a way of, uh, you know, working together with with countries as a reward or, you know, not working with them as a penalty is just very frustrating because, again, this goes back to we really need people from all different countries and, and disciplines working together to make space exploration a reality. Sure. Um, so things of that nature are that's like a really specific thing that frustrates me because um, there's only two countries right now that can send people into space physically and mm-hmm. we're not one of them and right. we're not allowed to collaborate with the other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? Right. Yeah. Right. And things are but, complicated with the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. And I mean, you know, that's the reason they give for not collaborating with China is because of, you know, human rights violations. But obviously right. Russia doesn't get a free pass on that. And even us, we don't get a free pass on that. We're yeah, committing not even close. It's getting worse every atrocities week. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and even before uh, that, we were too. So yeah. things of that nature are frustrating. That's a personal rant of mine. I would Please. say more 
more generally, you know, um, being aware that, you know, so everyone advocates for more money with NASA, but um, being better educated about NASA's budget in terms of it's more or less been a flat budget, which means that it's actually not even keeping pace with inflation. And mm-hmm. on that current trend, that means that NASA can't actually do anything beyond cis lunar space. So essentially in something orbiting in lunar space, but they don't mm-hmm. have enough money to land on the moon. They don't have enough money to orbit Mars. They don't have mm-hmm. enough money to land on Mars, things of that nature. And in order to do that, they need a budget that keeps pace with inflation. It goes above inflation by two to four percent per year for several years. And so it's not just about giving them, you know, a quick boost, but actually by having more of a dedicated policy of having something that goes above inflation for several years um, is important. Those are a few like rapid fire things. Yeah, perfect. (laughs) But, uh, you know, being being educated about the context that everything sits within um, when talking to Congress is is important um, because I think it it gives you more of a foot in the door um, to be able to change their minds about things. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Uh, I, awesome. I, I love those. Good context is, is so vital to, <laughs> to everything and all the questions we ask and the actions we take. Uh, um, all right. Well, uh, first of all, just thank you so very much again uh, for hanging out with us today. We know we've uh, had you on here for a little bit, yep, um, but we gonna... really appreciate it. All right. Um, Quinn has another question for you that uh, maybe you uh, already are ready for, just like the first one. Oh, yeah. You listen to That's right. so, <laughs> sort of our lightning round. Ariel, when was the first time in your life you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I listened to this part of the podcast yeah. <laughs> at the very end. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say because I feel like I, Take your time. I had the benefit of uh, being steeped in people who profoundly thought that they were change agents even before I worked at NASA. So mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, being reminded of having um, a unique power to communicate to people and to and the power that design and communication can have, I think, was mm-hmm. a, a big effect on me. Certainly, I think it's something that honestly, I, I kind of feel like I experience it every day for the first time. And, and that's kind of cheesy, but it's true because I think um, now that I'm 10 years in and and have, you know, this whole portfolio of projects and everything behind me, I think, honestly, every day I'm sort of still getting that little twinge of, I don't know, just um, excitement and also disbelief of the effect that I am capable of having. Mm -hmm. And it's both um, heartwarming and also, you know, scary from the standpoint of, you know, when you realize that you can have change, you also realize uh, how much you can mess things up for other people if you're not careful. Um, you're and... basically Captain Marvel. <laughs> I guess, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, with, 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 you know, with change making comes responsibility. And sure. um, it's that thing where I think, um, yeah, every day I'm kind of surprised at the effect that I can have. Um, and uh, that, that makes me want to be that much more conscious about being um, thoughtful and, and careful about uh, the decisions that I make, because I, I don't think uh, you can really truly be a change maker and not um, not have that second consideration that comes with it of the responsibility that that has. So certainly, I think year on year, um, I feel I have that like first feeling of like, wow, I'm able to do that. And I <laughs> didn't think that was possible. So it I would say in, in a way, it's been 
lifelong, but certainly that that going back to that thing that I was saying about doing good work and getting it out there, it's that getting it out there part that I think really has a profound effect. People are doing amazing work everywhere and not everyone gets to hear those stories and not everyone gets to um, sort of feel the impact of it um, because it doesn't get out there. And so, uh, so I think really doing things publicly in small or, or big ways um, is a way to really make change because um, I'm tired of us having to have movies like hidden figures come out that, you know, educate us about all these amazing things that happen years right. later. Right. Yeah. And you know, as much as social media is, is, is ripped apart and in so many ways it should be uh, in so many ways, we have seen so many examples in the past two years of of the impact that that one person, whether by themselves or part of a large group, can have. You know, everybody has voter turnout in America has always been terrible, fifty percent, uh, if not worse, in certain places. Uh, California primary turnout was twelve percent in yep. in the liberal progressive revolution leading state, right? Uh, and yet, in you know, in Virginia, one vote in one districts gave the Democrats a tie the House. Now, four hundred thousand people have Medicaid. And, uh, you know, two women screaming at a congressman in the elevator may have may have changed so much. And mm-hmm. and people marching in the streets, it's it's one person deciding to take off work and go or get child care or take your damn kids with you. You know, all these things, small to big, uh, have 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 such a, a huge impact. And and you can you can do something meaningful today, as crazy as it is. Uh, and good news is there's so many issues. There's so many ways to apply yourself. Yeah. Hey, who is someone in your life that has positive, positively impacted your work in the past six months? You want me to name a specific person? Uh-huh. Let's get specific with it. Gosh, there's multiple people. <laughs> I feel like by naming one, I'll be like, it'll be so sad for the other people who have definitely had impacts on my life. There could be runners up. Yeah. Yeah, I certainly, you know, so this one uh, professor, uh, Giselle Georgie, uh, she leads the microscopy program at Merritt College, which is this great community college in Oakland um, that does such amazing work um, for people to get jobs in biotech. And uh, I uh, ran across her because I signed up for the microscopy program so I could learn microscopy to go to Antarctica and um, just the amount of yeah, like that's things that I do. I guess. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, coming in and uh, into that program was just really positive, both from um, sort of the support that she gave and also um, just knowing how many um, people she is helping day in and day out sort of uh, get these cool biotech careers at this community college is just uh, really, really cool. Other than that, you know, it's been uh, a lot of astrobiologists. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, sure. Joel McCookey has been one. She's, again, this is all around Antarctica. So, for the last six months, I've been, you know, focusing on, on going to Antarctica. So, it's just, um, I think, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of scientists. I think I would say is is my general answer because to this day, you know. I wouldn't be able to accomplish everything I am single-handedly. It really, you know, takes a village to do different things. Um, and then also a shout out to like all my my patrons on Patreon because they are nice. also, you know, uh, helping support me in all the weird stuff that I do and going to Antarctica and all of that. And um, 
yeah, I don't know. It, it, there's so many people that are helpful and have been, made a huge impact on my life um, over, over the last six months. So um, I'm forgetting a gazillion people, but but that's at least my short answer. That's I know, a great answer. I know, I know we're running a bit long, but yeah. I, I just wish you were thankful about the things <laughs> that have happened to you in your life and the people <laughs> have helped out. It would be... She can't be perfect, okay? <laughs> um, all right. Uh, real quick lightning round of questions uh, here. Um, number one, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed, Ariel? I do a lot of different things. Uh, and then do, that's... Give, that, me, well, give me one answer. What, when you're just like, fuck this. When I'm overwhelmed to like a frustrating point, uh, I usually try to do something like, you know, get boba tea and go to the park. Uh, yes, and nature. sort of, you know, even if I've got meetings or if I'm too busy, I try to um, really uh, utilize what I call my sort of independence uh, muscle, which is, you know, I'm self-employed and it's something where it's a lot of, it's a surprising amount of work uh, when you're mm-hmm. self-employed, nothing mm-hmm. ever turns off. So being really conscious about doing things like in the middle of the week, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm going to go to the park when everyone else is at work. Right. Um, even though I'm really busy doing things like that are important because if you don't sort of uh, exercise that, that muscle, um, it's very easy to just not want to be self-employed anymore. Sure. <laughs> right. I did a lot of that when the world cup was on and, uh, it was great. And I'm also very behind on some things. <laughs> so to a point, to a point, uh, uh, how do you consume the news? Nowadays, uh, through the web um, and uh, yeah, web and social media. I used to, uh, for years on end, I felt I was the only millennial that every day I would watch the 5.30 p.m. NBC nightly news. Wow. Like I watched that every day until the election. And then I quit cold turkey because I couldn't handle <laughs> Why? it anymore. <laughs> oh, it's unbearable. It's, uh, I, can't, I can't watch video of that person yep. uh it bothers me on a deep level so yep. yeah speaking of that person if you could amazon prime one book to donald trump what would it be oh, God. Mm-hmm. we've had <laughs> such a wide spectrum and again context we have an amazon uh wish list where we list all of these that our guests recommend and uh-huh. folks go and they click on them and they get sent straight to the White House. So oh. uh, we have had and everything. They actually from, get sent. Oh uh-huh, my god! Uh-huh. Really we have did. had we have had everything from <laughs> coloring books to the Constitution. So yeah. hit me. Oh God! I don't even. So I don't think I have a good answer for this, but I'll just you know anything. Uh, yeah, I, I just feel like there's much much smarter answers out there than what I'm going to give. But um, there's a book called The Psychology of the Internet, which. Okay. Uh, uh, just kind of details uh, behaviors and how people interact on the internet and why it, you know interactions on the internet are you know need to still be taken seriously and also sort of the thinking behind it is way 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 above his reading level. But, and, but it's also uh, perfectly yeah, this is, applicable. This is perfect <laughs> for him? Are you kidding? That's all he does. It's yeah. like a fucking intervention no, guide. I mean, you know, I'd really like to recommend uh, fundamental books about you know uh, human rights and things of that nature. We've got uh, those on the list too. Baby steps. You're yeah, fine. okay. Yeah, so I you know, if, if I if I could come up with like the perfect like human rights book, uh that would be at his reading level, that's what I would go with. But uh <laughs> absent of that, I'm going with this psychology of the internet. I think it's perfect and awesome. he needs it. Awesome, awesome. Um hey, where can all, all of our followers uh follow listeners, sorry, follow you online? Yeah, so I'm uh, Ariel Waldman on pretty much everything. I have a YouTube channel. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Patreon. Uh, so all of those is just my name, Ariel Waldman. Perfect. Awesome. 
Uh, hey, I know we kept you forever. I hope your glass of water lasted throughout. We thought you <laughs> sounded amazing. Thank you so much uh, for all that you're doing, for all that you've done, for all that you're paying forward, uh, and for taking the time to to chat with us today and to put up yeah. with Brian. We it's really a lot. It. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. It's a lot. Uh, th- thanks so much for having me. Yeah, for sure. Please keep kicking ass out there. And uh, I'm going to go order some pillows from your website. So awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Ariel. Yeah, you too. Yeah, thank all you. Right. See ya. Bye. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.